Our scripture is from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Our lection this morning is from Mark, but I keep thinking about Jesus and Holy Week and the Gospel of Luke. In Luke, we read, As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. I need these words this week. I need this lament. I need it as mass shootings reemerge in our country. The pandemic and physical distancing gave us a break from assault style weapons used to slaughter people, people just going about their daily lives. A break from mass casualty events. A break from the names and images and stories of victims. A break from the grief, both of the loss of life and the inaction of so many of our leaders in the face of this overwhelming health crisis. As Jesus came near the city, he wept over it saying, if you, even you had only recognized on this day, the things that make for peace. I have a friend in Boulder, my friend from Divinity School, Andrew Daughtery. He's the pastor of a church there and he recorded a message for his congregation. He shared it with his Facebook. He said, this is again and again, a time of moral and social reckoning. Who are we going to be? What would the wise and nonviolent Jesus have us do in response now? We need to let that question linger longer than the news cycle. And while it does, may God transform our suffering into spiritual healing and into the political will to actually 
do something to stop this from happening again. As Jesus came near the city and saw it, he wept over it saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Our children practice for active shooters. Our teenagers know that concerts and movie theaters can become places of mass murder. Our adults know that going to the grocery store could be deadly. We are all of us traumatized by these acts of violence. The mass murder in Boulder was less than a week after eight people were killed in a shooting spree at three Atlanta area spas. In the Atlanta shootings, seven of the eight victims were women and six of those women were Asian. And while it has not yet been declared a hate crime, this violence against Asian women seems to clearly be part of the sweeping violence and cruelty to those of Asian descent in our country. Violence is pervasive here. It's part of our culture. As Jesus came near the city, he wept over it saying, if you, even you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Can we recognize this holy week, the things that make for peace? Jesus's repeated teachings through words and action, his repeated teachings are a way of being in the world, a way of being that breaks the spiral of violence by countering injustice. Theologian Walter Wink wrote, Jesus, in short, abhors both passivity and violence. He articulates out of the history of his own people's struggles, a way by which evil can be opposed without being mirrored. The oppressor resisted without being emulated. The enemy neutralized without being destroyed. This is the way of nonviolence. Wink continues, nonviolence must not be misconstrued as a way of avoiding conflict. Christians have all too often called for peace, for nonviolence, when they really mean tranquility. Nonviolence, in fact, seeks out conflict, elicits conflict, exacerbates conflict in order to bring it out into the open and lance its poisonous sores. It is not idealistic or sentimental about evil. It does not coddle or cajole aggressors, but moves against perceived injustice proactively. Jesus models this way of nonviolence, this way of moving against injustice proactively throughout his ministry, perhaps seen most clearly in his last week of life. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem from the east in a procession riding on a donkey, cheered by his followers. Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan argue that Jesus's entry was in direct contrast to the Roman imperial procession of troops and cavalry 
which entered Jerusalem every year to prepare for the influx of people at Passover. Imagine columns of soldiers and horses, armor and weapons, juxtaposed with a single man riding on a donkey, peasants' cloaks and palm branches. The kingdom of peace and justice over against the kingdom of might and oppression. Jesus's passion for the realm of God bleeds into Monday when he holds a demonstration in the courtyard of the temple, the home of God, the home of God that had become a den of robbers co-opted by Rome for taxation. The temple had become the center of religious, religious enmeshment with imperial power. And so Jesus overturns the tables and shouts, God's house is a house of prayer, not exploitation. Time takes on a frenetic and frantic pace as Monday's anger inspired Tuesday's interrogations. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Rome, they ask? Why are you putting me to the test? He asks. Whose face is on this coin? What's the greatest commandment? They keep trying effort after effort to ensnare Jesus with his own words. But Jesus answers, love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Love. And his attackers are silenced. While the leaders plot, Jesus teaches and preaches. He pauses for a meal at Simon's house and a woman comes to him, pours out extravagant ointment and anoints his head. Her gift of lavish love is seen as wasteful, not by Jesus, but it seems by Judas and others. And so as Wednesday ends, the plot for Jesus's arrest and execution is set in motion. Before Judas's kiss, Jesus, in the way of people who seem to know their death is near, calls his beloved to him. One last meal, one last conversation. Jesus shares bread and wine and words. Jesus pleads with his disciples, remember me. Remember me, my time is coming to an end and I need to know that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that I will be with you in your memory, that my passion and my love will not be forgotten, that you will carry on the building of the kingdom of God here on earth, the work of peace. And from these tender moments, the story moves swiftly into anguish in the garden of Gethsemane. The disciples cannot even stay awake to pray with Jesus as he begs that if there's another way, this cup might pass from him. Into this garden scene of sleeping disciples and anguished Jesus enters Judas with the authorities. Jesus is betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked. The crowds trade their shouts of Hosanna, forgive us Barabbas and then crucify. Jesus is executed on a cross, an imperial cross reserved for those who defied imperial authority. Jesus was killed. He didn't just die. He was executed by the powers that ruled his world. 
He sacrificed his life for his passion, his passion for the realm of God's love, his passion for peace. The Jesus movement didn't die with Jesus. By the time Jesus was crucified, it is estimated that there were hundreds of commissioned ministers scattered all over. Hundreds spreading peace, healing, and telling the good news of the kingdom of God that it's come near. Violence couldn't stop it. This movement of love and peace, God's kingdom come. Couldn't then and can't now. Can't now because of us, because we will work for peace, because we will confront collaboration with oppression and injustice, because we will continue to ask how many more victims, because we will act. One way you might consider acting today is writing to the Senate to demand action on background checks. There's a link in the worship notes to Moms Demand Action to their website, to a link where you can send a message to the Senate. There are many other actions you might take. Share how you're inspired to act, to change, to reimagine. Tell us what you're doing so we can join you. Our work does not save us. Our beliefs about this holy week, our beliefs do not save us. We're saved from violence through peace. Peace is about action and belief. It's a way of living. It's a movement, a movement larger than any one of us. Before his death, when Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, he says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. The work of peace is not lost. The work of peace is not passive. The work of peace is non-violently countering injustice. The work of peace is not work we do alone. Jesus sends the disciples out in groups. Together, the kingdom of God is brought to earth with our work for peace. We are God's hands and feet on earth They might stop one of us, but they cannot stop all of us. John the Baptist's movement was ended with a single sword stroke that took his life. Herod and Caesar had no trouble ending John's power and dispersing his followers. But Jesus, Jesus decentralized his movement he sent out disciples and he called them as he calls us to work for peace, to create the realm of God.
As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Amen.